This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom, righteously American. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom, righteously American. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. I just had a little quick sound glitch there. I'm not sure what that was. Um, (laughs) Welcome into the show. Uh, Today on the program, we're going to be covering a number of different things, starting off with, obviously, uh, we offer our condolences, our sincere condolences to the Cummings family. Uh, Elijah Cummings has passed away, and it's really a sad day um, whenever anyone who is a public servant, elected official, etc., passes away we we just want to offer um how sorry we are that that has happened and apparently he was due to be back he'd been off for about a month and he was supposed to come back and instead he's uh gone on uh, to eternity so we have to offer our condolences uh we're also going to be talking today about uh we have a number of really interesting things going on first off did you guys catch megan kelly on uh, Tucker Carlson last night. Listen, this is an interesting development. Um, First of all, she's back. Uh, She was actually looking at the camera. So she was being interviewed, but she was also taking a peek at the camera. Very interesting interview. Uh, I posted it on the Facebook page, Stacey on the Right Show. If you want to watch it, it's kind of long. He actually had her in studio and she sat with him and he went over a number of different topics. And so she was just kind of there for the long haul, I guess you could say. And I think it went pretty well. I mean, there were times where it was kind of weird because I'm so used to seeing her be the host and she was seated in the interview chair. But then she was speaking for extended periods of time. And I was like, I don't know if I, it was like 
you know how it is where you can have someone you haven't seen on in a long time and when you hear them you're like oh yeah um and I always liked her so my thing I I always liked her even after the whole thing where she asked President Trump those really rough questions and even after I realized that she didn't really like President Trump uh, I still liked her my my experience with her is based on meeting her two times I was on one of those audience panels where it's like 20 people and they're on the risers in a studio at Fox News it's actually the Sean Hannity studio where you do the audience panel so you're sitting there and she's standing and talking to you and some, this is some of the time it's actually I've done it four times I did it twice I think I did it twice on the Sean Hannity show and twice on the Megyn Kelly file and so Two of the times I did it, it was actually in Sean Hannity's studio. I think those were Sean Hannity audience panels. And then the ones with Megyn Kelly were in a big open space. And she kind of stands directly across from the camera. And you're on the risers, but in the very center of the risers at the top is where the camera is located. So it's like over your shoulder. There are other cameras in the room that can pan to you as an audience member, but that's the one that she's speaking to. Anyway, um, so I met her like. She called on my name. She called on me by name uh, each time that I was there and I got to answer a question or, you know, weigh in with my opinion. And then afterwards, I took a photograph with her and, you know, I got to shake her hand and say hi. And she was fantastic. And this is back in the Scotty Nell Hughes, Katrina Pearson days where they were always on every audience panel. And it was, you know, before Katrina went to Trump 2020 and all that stuff. And it was fun. And meeting her was nice because she was genuinely kind and nice. And remember, Meeting someone who's on television or someone who's famous doesn't always involve them being nice. Some people are not as nice in person. Their persona on TV is not the same. Um, She was really genuinely nice. She seemed super happy to actually meet all of us. And I just, I had a great time. I thought it was a real treat for me to get to go and do that. So um, anyway, it was interesting seeing her on. And uh, maybe she'll be back on it. I kind of feel like that's what that was last night because they didn't bring her back during the day. They brought her back at night where she reigned supreme for a while before she made the jump to NBC News. And uh, it was interesting because obviously, you know, that everyone who works there knows each other. Um, It seemed as if Tucker Carlson was really happy to see her and he had a good time with her. And so anyway, um. That's what that was. So now, listen, I'm posting some of the episodes from LifeZet TV on my podcast site, which is listen.stacyontheright.com. And you see that on the commercials when we have the little breaks, when we go to break, you see the listen.stacyontheright.com logo thingy. And and so you can find the episodes from LifeZet TV, the audio of them. We are not fully launched with Life's at TV yet, so don't don't fear. It's going to be better than that. But I was trying to find my listen.stacyontheright.com. My desk is a hot mess, so this is a shame. I'm glad you guys can't see it. Okay, so then how about the good news of today, which is President Trump brokered a ceasefire in Syria. So President Trump actually did something amazing. First off, and I want you to see the stagecraft here. You've got President Trump minding his own beeswax and and... Turkey decides they're going to invade Syria. So then President Trump has the option of saying, we'll leave 100 troops there, we'll leave 200 troops there, or I'll move some troops around from other theaters 
of operation, areas of operation. I'll move some troops there. And just the presence of American troops will stop some of the bad actors from interfering with Turkey's action. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Now, and if you're one of those people who gets ticked off whenever somebody disagrees with anybody who's a Democrat or whenever someone says we shouldn't be at war in X, then you're about to get ticked off. Also, if you have Trump derangement syndrome, giddy up because you're about to get ticked off because I'm here. Here it comes. Gird your loins. The fact is, President Trump handled this brilliantly. Here's what he could have done. He could have said what every other president usually says, which is we'll put some troops on the border and our troops will basically prevent others from moving in. And if we lose a few, it will still accomplish our aims, which is being central and a part of every single action that happens in the Middle East. We're still going to be at war there. We're still not going to have a congressional authorization and we still won't have any justification on why we're there. Okay. Then the president would be pretty much in the same vein as everybody else. But instead, President Trump said, I don't think that's what I'm going to do. What I think I'll do is I'll tell Turkey and everybody else, you know what? Our work here is done. We've vanquished ISIS. We're good to go. Thanks. Thanks for having us out today. And then we're out. We pull our 200 troops out. We don't have anybody in harm's way. And y'all go do what you're going to do. That's the statement he makes to the public. But guess what? There's also this opportunity for him to broker something behind the scenes. So that's where it comes in, this this letter that he wrote, okay? Um, so you got Vice President Mike Pence and Secretary Pompeo actually holding a press conference in Turkey, which was a live stream, but we'll get to that in just a second. So President Trump says... Now that I've made this public statement, we're not going to be in this thing. I'm going to shoot a letter off. And the letter that I shoot off is going to be directly to Turkey's president. I'm going to let him know um, how this thing is going to crack out. So here we go. You got President Trump. And he didn't give Turkey a green light to invade. What he did do is he wrote a very, very powerful letter. And it was in the days after announcing his decision to pull out our troops. So on the first first order of business, he answers a campaign promise. He says, hey, guys, I promised you we were going to pull out. We are pulling out. We're we're done with that. We're out of there. You know, uh, you know, good for you. Then he writes a letter and this is called diplomacy. Diplomacy 101 for those who are getting ticked off at the president for not being in every war and every continent. um, This is a lesson for you, not from me, but from the president. So the letter, which was obtained courtesy of Fox Business on official White House letterhead, is addressed to His Excellency Recep Tayyip Erdogan, Erdogan, and he's the president of the Republic of Turkey, Ankara. He says, Dear Mr. President, let's work out a good deal. You don't want to be responsible for slaughtering thousands of people. I don't want to be responsible for destroying the Turkish economy. And I will. I've already given you a little sample with respect to Pastor Brunson. I've worked hard to solve some of your problems. Don't let the world down. You can make a great deal. General Maslam is willing to negotiate with you, and he is willing to make concessions that they would never have made in the past. I'm confidently enclosing a copy of his letter to me just received. History will look upon you favorably if you get this done the right and humane way. It will look upon you forever as the devil if good things don't happen. Don't be a tough guy. Don't be a fool. I will call you later. Sincerely. Donald John Trump. So can I get a what what on how awesome that was? President Trump actually said for the public and for my position as president, 
I say none of our troops are going to be on the ground and in harm's way if Turkey decides to invade. Behind the scenes, I'm going to negotiate with the president of Turkey, with whom I have a relationship. Hey, did you notice that our guy, Pastor Brunson, was brought back from Turkey and that didn't happen when Obama was president? It happened when I was president. Did you notice that? So now I'm doing what I'm going to do in the way of sending a letter over and a copy of another letter that I've received so we can work something out. Now I'm going to tell you something. I think that was pretty brilliant. Notice he didn't release the letter to the public or to the media so they could rip it apart and call him nasty names and, you know, basically go into Trump derangement syndrome convulsions in the streets. He actually sent this behind the scenes to make something happen. And it was for the benefit of the people of Syria, the people of Turkey, and most specifically and more importantly, the people of the United States, those of us who have active duty, friends, family, Those of us who are running around this country right now, you may be driving a minivan, but your young son or daughter or three or four of your kids are serving overseas in these areas of operation. And you don't want to see your kids put in harm's way for something that has nothing to do with us, namely Syria invading or Turkey invading Syria. Okay, so I thought, you know, I I want to wait and see what the president is going to do. And I'm quite happy with what he did. In fact, I would go so far as to say that one of the most important things we can do going forward is to give him a chance to do what a president is going to do. What, what, what else can we think about his foreign policy if we see the past results have been excellent? And that's what he alludes to in this letter. He says, I've worked hard to solve some of your problems. Now, don't let the world down. He's actually talking about negotiating instead of launching bombs and missiles and, and, you know, flying planes overhead. This is from someone that everyone in the world has said is a deranged and mentally ill person, someone who is violent, someone who's a racist, yet he's brokering peace in the Middle East. Let me say it one more time for those in the back. President Trump is brokering peace in the Middle East. Can you say that about Obama? Can you say that about any of our previous presidents? Mm. Yeah, so somebody out there has probably got their little angry cat fingers typing right now that all I ever do is is say good things about President Trump. Uh, You know what? When he does something awesome, I'm going to go ahead and say something awesome about what he did. He did a great job here. And all I want you guys to do is to understand that there's more to being the president than what the mainstream media says about him. There's more to being the president than what Really, even what we can understand, except what we know about what previous presidents have done. And I think this is going to be something that we're going to see in, uh, you know, political textbooks, the classes that the kids take. They're going to say this is one way in which President Trump was able to broker peace, even in the presence of a hostile media and 50 percent of the country hating him and wanting him impeached. He was still working overseas to make sure that fewer people died, not more, less bombs, not more. I like it. We'll be right back.
Hey everybody, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, hmm, interesting, interesting. So this debate recap, um, I am just, I'm waiting for them to call it down a little bit, guys. I'm, I'm almost feeling as if we can't watch it anymore until they decide that they can make an argument that doesn't have anything to do with Donald Trump. I know you're probably thinking, well, that's never going to happen. Well, then it won't happen. It it won't happen. Um, They have to be able to articulate arguments for or against policy positions that do not involve President Trump. President Trump is not a dictator, nor is he a member of a monarchy. We are in the United States of America. He is not going to be president forever. He is only going to be president until the end of 2020. And if he wins four more years, it will be four more years and no more. This is the facts as they, these are the facts as they lay on the ground. We don't, these arguments that, so every, you, you can ask Joe Biden, what's your name? Impeach Donald Trump. What, what has your son ever done? Impeach Donald Trump. Um, is today Tuesday impeach Donald Trump. That's, it's like he's a broken record and he's not the only one. So here's the rundown over at foxnews.com. Fox News is saying the biggest winner of the evening was Elizabeth Warren. Danger, Will Robinson, danger. This woman wants to tax Americans. And yes, I said Americans. Forget about this whole idea that you can tax the rich without increasing taxes on the middle class. Everyone's taxes go up. They say that the middle class taxes don't go down, but we bear the brunt of the burden because we buy the most goods and consumer services after the luxury market. So you have the rich people buying the mostest, but they're a small segment of the population. Then you have us. And yes, I said mostest. I'm making a point here. We buy the most. Then it's the rich folks, but they have a higher tally because they're buying more expensive items. So the items are more expensive, even though the total number are smaller. So again, you have to understand all this stuff before you can even talk about these proposals totaling 90 some odd million dollars here. I'll look that up for you real quick. I saw it earlier today um, and I should have just pulled it over and had it right there for me. Um, Yeah, let me look here. It's while I'm pulling this up. Yeah. Okay, there we go. Um, So. The rundown over here um, that I told you about at Fox News says Elizabeth Warren's strong performance will solidify her frontrunner status ahead of Biden and Sanders. She emerged the clear winner of the night by showing she was sharp and prepared as she fended off attacks from candidates who were looking to cut into her polling lead. Now, the danger with her is that she sounds so commonsensical and normal because she spent a lot of time in academia and she talks down to everyone as if she is your better because she's more intelligent than you and she's also your teacher. She's your professor. So she sounds like that. Um, It was also a quality that Barack Obama had in spades where he could kind of sit there and take on, he could adopt a professorial air and kind of, you know, lecture you. He didn't have to be saying things that made sense. He could be flip-flopping on the issues, but the way he would be, you know, kind of, you know, I'm Barack Obama and doing all that stuff. And a lot of Americans bought into that. They, they thought up, this is an authority figure. I need to listen. I need to, I need to, you know, switch gears, especially the black community who the staunchest supporters of biblical worldview before Barack Obama in the country, hands down the most church segment of society and hands down the most radically changed and altered by the presidency of Barack Obama. 
He radicalized black people. Crazy, 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 crazy. So Elizabeth Warren would do the same thing. There were heated exchanges over health care, the wealth tax. She was able to turn a tax leveled against her around and still deliver the best answers of the evening. And she remained the focal point of the debate, speaking for the most amount of time out of all the candidates. And she was the, um, the target for their attacks. Everybody was trying to take her down. Now, she has unmatched fundraising and polling momentum. She has a series of strong debate performances under her belt. And you put all of this together with the fact that Joe Biden and Sanders have been weakened in debilitating ways lately, not the same ways, but still very, very harmful for them. It almost guarantees that Warren is going to take over as the front runner. Now, a surprise winner of last night, which I I don't know that I agree with him, because if you don't watch the debate, then what you see the the most of the person having the most um, like buzz on online social media and on the news shows that's who you think to yourself they had a good night or they came up. Um, and this is interesting. This writer says the surprise winner was Bernie Sanders, who has suffered a really stark decline in the polls recently. Obviously, a lot of it is due to his concerns about his health and stamina because he had a heart attack. Um, but he delivered a strong, forceful performance in the debate, apparently, succeeding in showing voters that he has not lost a step. He was the second place finisher of the night, according to this author. And it's also clear that Warren supplanted Sanders as the leader of the progressive movement in the Democratic field. And as a result, it will be difficult, if not impossible, for Sanders to reestablish himself ahead of Warren. Now, what would be great for him if he wanted to really have some power next go round is if he would step aside in exchange right now in exchange for tossing his voter, voters over to to uh, <laughs> Sanders would step aside and do so as a bargaining chip to toss his supporters over to Warren and get a concession on either an issue or on you know future ability to weigh in on things and help but he won't do that because he's too proud also he's a socialist whatevs so it's pretty clear that Warren has supplanted um This guy says the surprise winner in third place is Pete, the mayor. He's been called a breakout star. This is garbage. This is garbage because his poll numbers don't reflect any kind of breakout in any way. I'm skipping over this part. Sorry, I don't I don't have to read stuff that I think is utter poppycock. Now, this writer and I keep calling him this writer. It's Douglas Schoen. He's an opinion writer for Fox News. He then goes on to talk about who the losers were. He says the biggest loser of last night was Joe Biden. All eyes, apparently those of Democratic leaders, strategists and donors were on Biden. He needed to deliver a strong performance and he was unable to do it. He didn't. He wasn't forceful. Um, He dodged questions about his son's work in the Ukraine and he delivered other word salad answers during the evening. By the way, word salad is my, he didn't write that. I I said that. So with each passing day, he seems to move further and further away from securing the nomination. And um, this Doug Schoen saying he's going to decline even further from here. I don't I don't disagree. I think he, he's he's probably right about that. Amy Klobuchar, Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota has had a well a number of well executed lines taking aim at Warren. Many felt similar to the inconsequential attacks leveled at Warren by uh, John Delaney of Maryland during the first debate. Klobuchar's performance is unlikely to result in any spikes that she really needs to remain in this thing. And then Kamala Harris was also the other loser. Uh, He says 
she fell short, failed to distinguish herself. Um, she has hovered at around 5% in the polls, and she's not going to be able to recover the momentum that she lost just two months ago. And then he says the other losers were obviously everybody else, Gabbard, Castro, Steyer, Booker, O'Rourke, and Yang. Um, they are all barely registering in the polls. They were the biggest losers of the night. And um, they've failed to have a breakout moment they desperately need. Now, he doesn't seem aware that Tulsi Gabbard was the most, um, she was the most Googled Democratic candidate last night. Americans who had no idea who she was heard her talking about abortion last night and how third trimester abortion should be rare, if at all. Um, and they were like, who is this woman? They heard her talking about Syria and they, they wanted to know who she was and they Googled her. So I'll just say this. And it's not that I don't see merit in what Doug has written here. Um, I think Tulsi Gabbard was one of the surprise winners, whether it actually results in a polling bump that gives her an opportunity to remain that has to be seen. We, we don't know if that's actually going to happen. But I do think it's a possibility. It could happen. And therefore, it's much, in my opinion, more likely than any of the others, any of the other losers. Uh, so I talked about something that I'd seen on Twitter this morning. And, um, hmm, interesting. Um uh, we all heard about the the different numbers that they've been putting out, the numbers being how much their pro- policy proposals would cost and how they were asked about it, and they really didn't want to answer. Um, I, I think anyone who's not willing to talk about what stuff costs um, is not being a good candidate. If you want to propose things, but you don't want to talk about how much they cost, how can we take you seriously? So there are a few things that that they said they wanted to do. Let's talk about Bernie Sanders' proposals for a second here. Bernie says that we have to have Medicare for all. That's $40 trillion. We need a climate plan, $16.3 trillion. We need a jobs for all plan, $30.1 trillion. We need free college for everyone, $3 trillion. Free housing, two and a half trillion. Social security expansion, 1.8 trillion. Paid family leave, 1.6 trillion. Infrastructure, 1 trillion. Total cost, 97.3 trillion. How are we going to pay for it? Do you hear the sound of unicorns neighing and like trotting across my front yard here? You don't hear those, just like you don't hear him explaining how we pay for this. Even if we taxed and confiscated the wealth of every single American who is considered to be a part of the 1%, the 10%, even the 20%. Even if we took everyone who has a college degree, plus all the rich people, took all of their assets, all of their wealth, and all of their income, we could only run the government for like a day or two. And then we'd still be on the hook. And that doesn't even include all his new proposals. So he'd be talking about taxing everybody at pretty much everything. So you'd get all this stuff for free, but you wouldn't have any cash on hand. You'd be working for the government like a serf. Can anybody else understand why dude is not getting anywhere in the polls? Because of that. So the other thing I want to talk about is how everybody keeps characterizing the Trump family is, you know, they try to act as if, I mean, they are rich. Okay. They're rich, but they're not as rich as a lot of the people like Tim Steyer and uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Um, the, uh, 
the Microsoft founder, Bill Gates, all of the leftists are far wealthier than the Trumps. Let's take an example here, some comparisons here. The Trump family, before running for the presidency, was worth about $4.5 billion. President Obama was worth $3 million. Well, actually, I'll go one at a time. The Trump family was worth $4.5 billion. Today, they're worth $3 billion. So they've lost $1.5 billion in wealth and assets since they assumed the presidency. Hmm? What's that sound? President Trump getting less wealthy and working for free for the American people. That's what that sound is. Obama was worth $3 million when he became the president. Now he's worth $40 million. Clinton was worth 480000 before he ran for the presidency. That was a long time ago, mind you. It was, but still. Today, Clinton is worth $100 million. Now, they're worth over $250 million together, the Clintons. But if you look at Bill, you go back to his, you know, obviously he was president decades ago. So, you know, but these numbers are still out of our stratosphere. Am I right? And y'all know I, I don't have that as a problem where I sit up and look at somebody rich or somebody whose house is big and pretty and perfectly remodeled or, it, you know, I, I don't have that in me that I'm jealous of that kind of stuff. I don't envy it. I feel like the Lord gives what he knows you can handle. And sometimes he doesn't give because he wants you to be happy. Because sometimes I, I, I've seen too many stories of people who have a lot of money and they're unhappy because the money comes with so many, like it's. It's things people will do to you if they know you're rich. Things people will say about you if they know you're rich. The way they treat you if they know you're rich. Whereas if you're not rich, you're not on anybody's target. So, and I also know what the Bible says about wealth. You know, I've met some amazing people who are wealthy and they're godly and their light shines and their money is just something that they have control over. It doesn't own them. And I've also met miserable wealthy people. I've met miserable poverty-stricken people, and I've met poverty-stricken people who they come in the room and you just light up. You can't wait to get next to them and spend some time with them and soak up some of what they've got. So it, it's not it's not the wealth. So I don't say this because I'm upset that Clinton's worth $100 million or his wife's worth $250 million or whatever it is. It's because they did all that while they were being political. They gained that on our backs, insider trading, deals, lobbying, et cetera, selling their name, selling access, and they don't want you to get there. They're fine with being there, but they don't want you there. I can't, I can't get with that. mm -mm, No. Mm -mm. So, uh, yeah, we covered that, you know, I'm kind of like, you you know, how does when you, when you talk about something and you think, hmm, interesting. All right. I'm going to go into the chat room just a quick second. Um, oh, this was something interesting that I think Tracy shared in the chat room that, um, up to 35% of black men are planning on voting for Trump and that that was a story over at Big League Politics. Now, let me let me just pull that up real quick. Um, and I did I did see some data on that before. The last time I saw a poll, it said something like 25%. So this is a new number. Um, and apparently, what's interesting is that um, you can you can kind of look at that as men who are working now, men who've seen their families um, actual trajectories change. Men who've now become a part of something fantastic, they don't want that change. They don't want that to change. And um, so I'm typing in black men voting for Trump so I can pull this up. He just put this in the uh, tr- the chat room there. He actually put the link in there. If you 
So if you go on to StacyOnTheRight.com during the show, you can watch the live stream there and take part in the chat there. Um, Chi lives in California, by the way. Um, so let me see if I can find it. And if I can't find it now, I'll just keep looking for it. Yeah, there's the break. What I'll do is I will find this story and I will pull it up and I will have it for you when we get back from the break. Um, I have other stories that I prepared for the show, but this one's good, the polling numbers. So we'll be back with that and more after this. Stay there. Hey guys, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, I had this bit of audio from Jim Jordan and he was reacting to Hunter Biden's interview on TV yesterday. And so I thought I would let you listen to that real quick and then we'll get into this Norwegian study. Also, before we even, let's do this. Let's first get to this. Trump mocks Democratic leaders saying, do you think they like me? So you guys must have heard about this blow up between President Trump and uh, Nancy Pelosi. And they actually had this, like, it, like, They had a little bit of a dust up um, at this meeting. And then President Trump tweeted out, Nancy Pelosi needs help fast. After Pelosi and two other Democratic leaders walked out of a White House meeting with him on Wednesday. Now, he says there's either something wrong with her upstairs or she just plain doesn't like our great country. She had a total meltdown at the White House today. It was very sad to watch. Pray for her. She's a very sick person. Now, today, Thursday, I saw on Twitter that uh, Pelosi owns Trump was trending, which means nothing. Twitter's owned by the libs. They they have the accounts that get the most attention on there. Um, and so in their majority of the accounts on there are libs. So for them to have that trending means nothing. And, I mean, it, it used to mean something when something was trending on Twitter. Now we just know the algorithm is helping Democrats. So President Trump tweeted three photographs to show his disgust. He tweeted out, do you think they like me? Showing apparently annoyed Democratic leaders Pelosi, House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, and Senate Min- Minority Leader Chuck Schumer with their faces looking kind of grim. Another Pelosi showed another picture showed Pelosi standing up at the conference table pointing at the president. Trump titled this one, no, Nervous Nancy's Unhinged Meltdown. Which is funny to me because the president always sits at the middle of the table. Maybe he sits there because the, then he's in front of the flags. Obviously, it's a room I've never been in, y'all. I've been in the White House before, y'all, but not in that room. Um, And a third picture showed the conference room from Trump's perspective with three empty seats where the Democrat leaders had been sitting. Trump captioned this one, the do-nothing Democrats, Pelosi and Schumer, stormed out of the cabinet room. Now, Stephanie Grisham tweeted out, Real Donald Trump was measured and decisive today. Speaker Pelosi walking out was baffling, but not surprising with no intention of participating in a meeting on national security. Dim leadership chose to storm out and wind to cameras. Everyone else stayed to work on behalf of our country. That's pretty typical. So let's pivot back to the Joe Biden stuff. Here, he, here is Jim Jordan, Representative Jim Jordan, talking some sense about Hunter Biden going on television. Sounds like he's just upset that he got caught uh, in this uh, ridiculous arrangement. And then second, he said that uh, something about when his dad becomes president. I don't think that's going to happen. But uh, look, the American people knew right from the get-go this was wrong. The American people understand fairness. They instinctively get this wasn't fair, this wasn't proper, this wasn't right. 
Um, and I, I think it's, I think it was pretty obvious. He just said now kind of what the American people already understood when this when this story first broke. Yeah, I mean, look, we don't know. We just know that this stuff smells. I mean, the, the whole the whole arrangement with China, the billion dollars from a subsidiary bank of the of the Bank of China, this arrangement with Burisma, this company in the Ukraine where Hunter Biden had no experience, didn't know the language, no experience in the energy sector, and, and and not an expert on Ukraine gets this this position. I think the American people again, they saw this for what it is. They know it smells. They know it's wrong, and 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 th that that's the fact. So. Uh, Look, let's let's uh, let's deal with the issues that the American people care about now. Let's let's work on prescription. Hmm. Um, were you guys able to hear that? That was Jim Jordan. Um, I could hear it in my ear. I had. Um, yeah. So I'm hoping you guys could hear that. Anyway, I'm I'm uh, I'm really surprised. Oh, OK. Sound clips are low compared to my voice volume. Yeah. And I turned that one up a little bit. I'll work on that, you guys. A little bit of issues. I can uh, know I can help me out with that after the show. Um, but again, I just, with this Biden thing, it feels a little bit like a hit job, but it's not a hit job because a hit job is where you're unsuspecting, you have no idea, you're minding your business and you haven't really done anything wrong and people come after you and they use information that is either false or trumped up, made up, a creation out of their own mind, etc. Or they use something you've done that isn't even bad and they try to tear you down with it. This information about Joe Biden and his son Hunter, none of it's made up. It's all true. It all has relevancy because he was vice president of the United States while all this was going on. And because President Obama made a big, huge statement about how he wouldn't have any of his family members working for foreign governments. And that was Obama digging against um, the Clintons because the Clintons had the foundation and they were going around speaking to foreign governments and being paid. So can I, can I, can I call it a hit job if what everyone is saying about him is true? I guess the part about it that's a hit job is that his friends in the media, people who are supposed to support him and have his back, are the ones who are executing the informational campaign against him. So maybe that's the way in which it is a hit job. Um, anyway, so... Now let's get to the study. So you guys, when I read this, I was like, hmm, interesting. The more chores a husband does. So you guys know what I did first. It's time for a story. I read this story yesterday, right after the show. Uh, well, it was it was actually, I'd gone and picked up our youngest child. I'd done a couple more things. And then I was sitting in here and my husband showed up after work and he walked in and said, hey, what, what's, what's up? How you doing? You know, we, we greeted each other. And then I had this story up and I said, could this be true? And he was like, what is it? And so I start telling him about what it says. Couples may be better off living in a traditional household where women do all the housework if they want to stay together, according from a report from the Oslo and Akerhouse University College of Applied Science. So my husband had actually, we'd come over here. I was sitting right here. He came over, we're talking and as he's walking out, he, I read that sentence and he stopped at the door to our little office here and turned around and he said, what? Because, <laughs> you know, men are always interested in things that validate their desire not to do chores. <laughs> so and he and I, we have a very traditional household when it comes to the cleaning and the cooking and stuff, because I've been a stay at home mom for 15 years of our marriage. And then. Well, actually longer than that. Uh, well, no, no, I did. I worked the first couple of years. So 
about 15 years of our marriage, I've been a stay-at-home mom. And then the other parts, like right now, it's kind of a hybrid because I work from home, but I only work for a few hours a day. So it doesn't stop me from doing the cleaning and stuff like that. But I also come from a traditional household where me and my sister were taught from the time we could stand up, we helped clean out the tub after we had a bath. We helped, um, you know, we rounded up the little trash cans, you know, the little waste bins that you'll have one in your bedroom or what have you, you know, one in the bathroom. We rounded up the waste bins. We, from the time we could stand up, we helped. And so our kids have been the same way. I waited a little later to start them off, but they've always had to pick up their own toys and clean up their own rooms, you know, the toy parts, and then I would vacuum, et cetera. And then when our kids got old enough, Maya especially was so anxious to, to wash dishes that I taught her how, um, I think she was like eight years old, and she would stand on a chair in the kitchen at the sink, and she would, you know, basically be trying to work at washing dishes, and then I would come behind her and, you know, basically do it myself. Um, so in the way when you say the woman is responsible for all the housework, well, yeah, I'm responsible for it, but the kids help. So, um, and then, of course, my husband takes the traditional male role. He's responsible for all the yard stuff. So I help, but he mows the grass. He scrapes the sidewalk. He blows the leaves. If if it snows, he he's the one who goes out with the thing and, you know, gets the snow up. Um he blows off the courtyard, you know, gets, in other words, it's very traditional. He takes out the trash. Our son takes out the trash. Um, I will take out trash, but it's not one of my duties. Um, the toilets at our house, of which there are quite a few, I clean those and the kids clean them. Our son knows how to do all of the things I named. He knows how to wash dishes, wash clothes. He knows how to do all that stuff. So if he ever lives alone as an adult, which he probably will for a little while, he'll be able to completely take care of himself. But as he's grown up, he's seen the traditional roles played out by me and my husband where the cleaning and stuff, the cooking. My husband actually knows how to cook. He's actually a great cook. Um, And he has certain dishes that he makes that we like and we'll say, hey, would you make, you know, and he'll make that. Um, But he does not cook every week. (laughs) Well, he, he makes breakfast on the weekends, like he'll cook all these eggs and bacon and all that stuff. But he doesn't cook dinner every week. He, he might cook dinner, you know, once every two or three weeks. So it's very traditional. And it works for us. But we grew up in those kinds of households. So it's not a departure for us. There's nothing for us to learn in doing it this way. So this report by Norwegian researchers was actually launched because they wanted to see how married and cohabitating men and women divided housework and childcare throughout their various life stages, analyzing two separate studies involving nearly 20,000 men and women aged 18 to 79. The life course generation and gender, um, it was one part of the study, um, the study of the Norwegian life course aging and generations was the second part, two separate studies, and the participants respectively answered questions about the division of housework and childcare, their attitudes towards gender equality, as well as other variables like life stage and social class. Now, I just want to, from the giddy up, before I go into any more details, tell you that we do believe that men and women are created equal in the sight of God, but we also believe that men and women are complementary in nature and that men are more inclined to do certain things and are better at those things. And women are more inclined to do certain things and are better at those things. And that some women might be better at, let's say, mowing the grass, uh, repairing a, a, a broken lawnmower, et cetera. But it doesn't mean that that particular woman is the example for all women or that she should be made to feel bad about herself or that women who can't fix a lawnmower should be made to feel bad about themselves. 
We also have taught the kids that no matter what the Avenger shows on TV, women are not normally stronger than men or able to beat them up by jumping on their shoulders and wrenching them to the ground with their legs. And that a lot of what they see on television is an improper representation of what would happen between a fight between a man and a woman. And that the idea that men are bad somehow because they're masculine is utterly ridiculous and will work to make our daughters single for the rest of their lives. So we've been very, very clear about that. I've also talked to my son individually and told him he should be looking for a woman who knows how to cook, who knows how to clean and isn't afraid to do those things and doesn't think that those things diminish her. A woman who wants to serve the man she ends up marrying in the same way that he should want to serve his wife. We'll see how all of that works out, but we have tried to teach that and impart that to them. So the results showed that 65% of couples equally or nearly divided childcare, but not housework. And that's how it is at our house. My husband does just as much for the kids as I do. Um, Now that they're bigger, when they were smaller and I was their primary caregiver, obviously I was breastfeeding them, changing their diapers and keeping them clean and all that stuff. Um, But he's always been the one to read their stories at night and spent a huge amount of time with them. And so 65% of couples that equally or nearly equally divided their childcare, but not housework, women reported doing all or most of the housework in 11% of the couples and somewhat more of the work in 60% of the couples. 25% of the couples divided the work more equally with younger couples, childless couples, and couples where the woman had a full-time job among those more likely to split the chores equally. Researchers did not find an association between a traditional share of housework, women doing most of the work, and a lower risk of divorce, but they did report untraditional couples had a greater risk for divorce. Men who did as much or more of the housework were more likely to get divorced than couples where where the woman did most of the housework over a period of four years. Now, is this saying that if you have one of these equal arrangements that you're going to get divorced? No. But I got to tell you, men talk to other men and men who will do a lot of housework at home are seen by other men. If they have to do all the cooking, if they have to do all the cleaning, their wife doesn't know how to do all that stuff. Other men see that as that man being married to a woman who is not as good as other women. Men, I don't care what they say on paper. I don't care what they've been trained to say at work. Men see a woman in a kitchen. You don't even have to be dressed up cute. You standing in front of a stove is enough to elicit a smile out of any man. I know for a fact because I've seen men with a regular look on their face. We'll be at their house or they'll be at our house. And any woman who walks up to the stove and starts stirring a dish or sets out plates or starts slicing vegetables all the men in the room start smiling. <laughs> they smile at the one doing the work. <laughs> so I don't, I'm not really interested in people getting triggered about me telling the truth about that. What I am interested in is people just <laughs> acknowledging the truth about the way men are wired. Men want women to wear dresses and cook. They want women to be soft and sweet. They want women to laugh. They want women to have long hair. Don't hate, participate. (laughs) All right. That link is in the show notes. I'll be back with you tomorrow. God bless.